Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 2,294. Be prepared to be inspired. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, inspiring automotive enthusiasts, and welcome to Cars Yeah. Today, I'm in Lake Placid, Florida. Do you know where that is? With a very special guest by the name of Scott Teeters. Scott, welcome to Cars Yeah. Do you have any gear, and are you ready to release the clutch? I certainly am, Mark. Hi, how are you doing? And uh, it's good to be with you. Well, thank you. We're going to have some fun today. Now, before I give you a proper introduction and we dive into your world, what's one little thing that maybe people don't know about you, Scott? Well, most people that know me know me for my interest in cars and art, but what they don't know, and I I really had to think about this, what most folks do not know is that I absolutely love the music of Sergei Rachmaninoff. Uh, It's kind of not a fit for my generation. I mean, I'm a 60s and the 70s guy, but I discovered Rachmaninoff in the 80s, and I find it to be just the most beautiful, luscious, romantic music in the world. And I listen to it intensely about every six months. That way it's always fresh, and it's always a delight to go back and hear. Great stuff. Yeah, I've had a uh, a large number of guests on the show that are well, a lot of people are in music, but are also musicians, and it seems to be this connection somehow. I'm trying to figure out how cars and music relates together, but maybe it's because us car people are just you know very educated, and we like things that are very different. Mm-hmm. That's the way I like to think of it. But that's a great one. I love it. Well, not everybody will be sending you recordings for Christmas, so. <laughs> All right, well, let me give you a proper introduction. Scott Teeters is an automotive artist and writer whose work includes a collection of muscle car art, hot rod nostalgia posters, exotic sports car lithographs, Shelby Mustang, Shelby Cobra artwork, and a lot more. He's been a contributing writer since 1977 to over a dozen automotive publications. Scott started drawing cars when he was just a boy and had his first illustrations published in Drag Racing USA magazine way back in 1975. He studied illustration at the Philadelphia College of Art and began his freelance career shortly after graduation. He worked in the Boys Toys R&D department at Tyco Toys. He worked on Tyco HO, RC, Matchbox, I've still got all mine, and the Matchbox Collectibles product line. He has an Etsy page filled with work as well. He helps manage the Lake Country Cruisers Car Show in Lake Placid, Florida, and is the webmaster for their event as well as the communications director as well. So you can see he has his fingers in a lot of car world activities. We'll be back in just a moment, but first a word from our sponsors. So give them a little listen and we'll be right back. Are you wondering what your collector car is worth these days? Are you thinking about buying a collector car? I know who can help. My friends at Classic.com will help you stay on top of the market so you know which similar vehicles are out there, what they're selling for, what you should pay, and how to price your vehicle. Go to Classic.com slash garage, enter your vehicle's information, specs including the year, make, model, mileage, and options, and they will provide you with a list of recent comparable sales. Their powerful search engine is up to date, finding new listings, tracking sales, and keeping you informed, providing data so you can make the right decision. If you're selling a vehicle, they can help as well with their Classic.com Pro Division, steering you to a qualified professional who will help. Finding the right vehicle and selling your vehicle is all about timing 
and exposure. So what are you waiting for? Go to classic.com slash garage and give it a run. That's classic.com slash garage and tell them Mark sent you. Years ago, when it was time to renew my collector car insurance policy, my carrier's rates went up, way up. But my usage was the same and I never made a claim. I didn't even have a ticket. So what's with that? So I turned to American Collectors Insurance. Has your collector car insurance recently raised your rates for no good reason? Tired of paying an annual membership fee? Then it's time to look around and call American Collectors Insurance. I shopped around. I asked friends for recommendations and found a winner that I can trust. And boy, I'm glad I did. I saved hundreds of dollars every year and slept better at night knowing my baby was properly insured. American Collectors Insurance have been protecting vehicles since 1976. They provided me with an agreed value insurance policy backed by their history of taking great care of their clients. What could be better than that? So give them a call and ask for a quote today. 866-ACI-YEAH. That's 866 866- 224-9324 and protect the ones you love like I did with American Collectors Insurance. Classic car insurance designed by collectors for collectors. For several years now, you've heard me talk about Linkage Magazine. I've been a subscriber since the start. They're talented and creative team brings you a spectacular publication and website that shares the automotive passion from a worldwide perspective. Linkage is about driving, restoring, collecting, and first-hand experience at collector car auctions and more. They bring you real-world values plus rational, experienced opinions on the current markets. They cover the automotive world and the people who share our passions. And Linkage Magazine has grown, mailing you six issues annually. Join me on this journey with Linkage. They're geared for the automotive life. You can subscribe at LinkageMag.com. So, Scott, we are back. So I'd like to go back in time a little bit and have you walk us through this uh, career path of illustration and so forth. Because I know having had lots of artists on the show, that's kind of a tough career path to take. But you figured out a way to get involved in a lot of different aspects here. So kind of walk us through why you chose this and a lot of the different things you did. And then we'll talk about what you're doing today, Lake County Cruisers, your Etsy site, and a whole lot more. You know, Mark, I was just one of those kids that was, as soon as they put a pencil and some crayons in my hands, I just started drawing things. I just liked making marks on paper. I was mostly drawn to machines. Uh, Not so much people or animals, but mostly machines. So I was a kid, I was drawing uh, army tanks and guns and drawing maps and all that kind of stuff. And somewhere around the age of nine or 10, I started to pay attention to cars you know, you're walking along, you go, oh, that's a Ford, and that's a Chevy, and that's a Mustang, and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And then uh, one day, my older brother took me to the local Chevy dealer to have his 57 Chevy Bel Air serviced. And he said, go in the showroom, wait for me. I, I got to go back into the service department. So I walked into the showroom, and there was this most gorgeous car sitting on the showroom floor. And it turned out it was a 1965 Corvette Stingray Coupe. Ooh. <laughs> and I must have been standing there with my mouth open yeah. because this sales guy came over and he said, oh, you like that car? kid. Here you go. Here have a brochure. And he scribbled his name <laughs> on the front of it. Yeah, you know, I guess he thought maybe my father would buy one. You know, that wasn't going to happen. Well, I went home and I just, I just couldn't get over the appearance, the beauty of this car. Plus, in the brochure, there were these wonderful line drawings of the engine and the frame and the suspension and the dash layout. And I was just enamored with these things. I knew nothing about the mechanics of cars, but that got me started. So from there, I went to buying car magazines and reading everything I could about cars. And then I started buying model car kits 
because the model car kits had these wonderful exploded isometric drawings of how to put the parts together, and it called out all the parts. So you got to learn, oh, these are the cylinder heads, this is the manifold, this is the carburetor, this is the air cleaner, and all the rest of the parts. From there, it was just cars, 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 and of course, I integrated my passion for drawing into now drawing cars. Fun. Yeah, the, the model cars taught us a lot, right? They really, really did. I wish I had those those old instruction sheets because they were wonderful. Beautiful, beautiful explosive view isometric drawings. They're great stuff. But when I got into high, into junior high school and high school, I was really good at mechanical drawing. And I got straight A's. And I thought when I got out of high school that I wanted to be a draftsman. And I right out of high school, I had a job, but it was with the wrong company on the wrong subject. It was a, a naval architecture firm. And I have no interest in ships at all. And by lunchtime on my very first day, I was bored out of my mind. And I, I hung in there for a year and I couldn't stand it anymore. And I left, got a job in construction. And I remember saying to myself, that's it. I'm done. I'll never sit behind another drawing board again. So I kicked around a bunch of jobs. And I think sometimes in life, Mark, you have to have a really terrible job in order to <laughs> sort of like shake your mind up yeah. and get refocused. Yeah. And mine was working for a swimming pool company in the summer on the excavation crew. That's a fancy word for the guys that dig the holes. I was going to say you were digging holes, right? And (laughs) and one morning, it was a hot August in New Jersey, and it was just brutally humid. And I'm down in this hole. It's like 9.15, and a big clump of dirt fell on my head. And I'm all covered with sweat. Now I've got dirt all over me. And I said... I got to do something else. <laughs> yeah. So I gravitated back to drawing and I was starting to do technical illustrations. You know, I just got better and better at it. And the more I stayed with that, I finally decided that I wanted to go to uh, Philadelphia College of Art to learn how to be an illustrator. And this was about the same time in the evening, just for fun, I was drawing cars. And um, where I grew up in uh, southern New Jersey in the greater Philadelphia area, drag racing was very, very popular. And of course, I was into that big time because it's very connected to muscle cars. And that's my era. I love the muscle car era. So I was really into drag racing. And in the pro stock category, there was a very popular drag racer named Bill Grumpy Jenkins. He didn't get that nickname Grumpy by accident, (laughs) but he was very, very good. And he built brutally fast uh, Chevy uh, drag racing cars. And in 1975, Chevrolet came out with a new Chevy Monza, which was sort of a a restyled Chevy Vega, but it was really cool looking. And I thought, I wonder if Grumpy's going to build a Monza pro stocker. So I did a drawing of it in pencil. And at the same time, I was working at the local drag strip as a track announcer. And I showed my drawing to one of my co-announcers and he said, he got really excited and he said, you should send that in the Drag Racing USA, they'll print it. So I made a copy, sent it in and they said, if you do this in pen and ink, we'll run it as a two-page spread. So I went home and I I, I bought a set of pens and uh, I, did, I did it as best as I could. And I sent it in, they published it and I got 150 bucks. That was my rent. The and light I said, bulb went off, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, <laughs> I said, man, I'm liking this. So that's what got me launched on this uh, career of working for car magazines while I was also going to Philadelphia College of Art uh, in the evening. So by the time I got out, I had developed enough of a portfolio in the early 80s. I got hooked up with some uh, art representatives in, Phil- in the greater Philadelphia area, and I did all kinds of things technical type drawings a lot of the stuff i really wasn't very interested in but they paid really well you know especially for a young guy in his uh, late 20s and early 30s but in order to come up with some filler work i went back to the car drawings now all along i have been i had still been doing occasional drawings for vet magazine and i started doing drawings for some drag racing publications and other things just as filler work but after a while i realized that's where my passion is 
you know, in the cars. And it's as a result of that that it led me to doing freelance work for Tyco Toys. I end up getting uh, hired there as a designer in 1991. And I end up learning all about how to design and develop product pricing, working with the marketing people, as well as the, the creative people in the office that were just awesome. I mean, I worked with some of the neatest people and those creative people I had ever, ever been around. And it was a tremendous learning experience. It's almost like a college education in product development. And that job lasted up until, well, let me back up a little bit. In 1997, we were still Tyco. And I came into work one day and I could tell some people were upset. And finally, somebody said, we got bought out by Mattel. Uh-oh. I was like, oh, no, because we consider them the enemy. Mm-hmm. Tyco Toys at the time was the number three toy company in America, but a distant number three. And we were, we were positioned to be bought. Mm-hmm. And Tyco or Mattel bought us out. And it took about six months for the, for the entire buyout to happen. And it was a very unhappy time there because nobody quite knew what they were, what was going to happen to us. Well, we had a fellow that ran the preliminary concepts and design department that really believed in us and our talent. And he charged us with the project of to design a full line of, of, of Star Wars toys because he found out that there was going to be a new Star Wars movie. So we based these this entire line of, of uh, Star Wars toys basically off the original Star Wars from the late 70s. We developed, we did uh, concept drawings, we did uh, look-like, work-like models, we did packaging, we did costing, and we did the whole thing. And it turned out that the people in El Segundo were so impressed with the boys' toys group, they decided to you guys are going to stay there. We're going to take all of the girls' toys, the dolls, the plush, the activities. We're going to take all those things out to El Segundo and integrate them into Mattel. So Tyco Radio Control, Tyco HO Racing, all of Matchbox and Matchbox Collectibles got to stay there. And we got another four years of employment out of the uh, out of the division. And it was a great time. It really wow. was. What fun. I mean, you look at this uh – progression of your career and how you know you go all the way back and how it happened i would imagine you probably think back on those times ago how cool was that that all of this came together and i ended up having all this fun in cars and drawing and creating let's fast forward to today what you're doing today are you still doing a lot of drawing and so forth the last three, well, let me back up a little bit. Back in 1997, I pitched Vet Magazine's editor an idea for a monthly column. I was just looking for some extra regular work, mm-hmm. you know, a freelance on the side. And I came up with this idea of something I called the Illustrated Corvette Series. And I wanted to tell the chronological history of the Corvette starting in 53 and go to 54 or 5 all the way through. And the editor got back to me. He said, that's a pretty neat idea. I, I, I made up a layout uh, for him so he had an idea what I wanted this to look like. And he got back to me. He said, that's a pretty cool idea, but I don't have another opening for an editorial page. So thanks, but no thanks. About a week later, he called me and he said, the guy that was doing the diecast cars monthly column, he doesn't want to do it anymore. So I got an open page. Do you want to do this thing? <laughs> oh, nice. And I said, sure. And I got off the phone and I thought to myself, I've just committed myself to every month creating three illustrations and writing a story and doing a layout. Okay. So I got started doing that. And by the time I got up to about 1955, 56, referencing all my Corvette history books, I realized that to completely tell the story of the Corvette, you can't just talk about the production cars. You have to branch off and you have to talk about the experimentals, prototypes, the show cars, the race cars. 
And this series grew and grew and grew. And by the time it finally completed, well, the magazine got uh, canceled in December of 2019. I had done over 270 installments every single month. Wow. So along the way, they, they not only paid me and published my art and my stories, they would send the artwork back to me. It was my art. Unlike doing stuff for Peterson Publishing, where when you did artwork for Peterson, you it. sign that check, they own the t- and you never see it again. I only did one project for them. So what I started to do with my artwork, Mark, was I started to create layouts, reproducing them, and then selling them as art prints, signed and numbered. And this this collection of art between the Corvette stuff and all the muscle cars and all the drag cars grew into over a thousand different prints because it also includes line drawings of uh, engines and drag cars. I mean, the, the spread is incredible. And it's all recycled artwork that I've done from being a contributor to all these car magazines. Oh my God. So in addition to being paid for this, I created this little cottage industry business that um, just amazes me. I mean, recently I just sold a print of one of Grumpy Jenkins' old cars from the 1960s, and I looked at the date on it, and I did that drawing back in 1978, and I thought, (laughs) how ironic. I'm still making money off of a drawing, a little drawing I did back in 1978, and so it goes. Wow. Talk about scaling. That's impressive. Well, you know, you've taught some great lessons here for people when they think about what they're doing and what could be in the future and hanging on to things and always thinking thinking really round. And when you think about what or how we can reach people today, all the social media channels, and as I mentioned, your Etsy site and all that, there are so many ways now to reach out to people and market things to people that never existed. And you and I come from somewhat of the same era. I mean, think about if we'd had this stuff back in the 60s and 70s, even the 80s or 90s, uh, yeah, how much more we could have done. But yeah, just, you know, keep all this stuff uh, together. You know, I, I like to ask people about inspirational people in their lives, what I call our driving inspirations. You mentioned earlier the people you worked with that you really looked up to. Was there, there was probably a lot of people, but there was there one person that was, that really stuck out to you as a great inspiration, maybe a mentor? Absolutely. And unfortunately, I never got to meet him. And his name was Earl Nightingale. Earl Nightingale was a, um, he was the original radio voice of Sky King back in the early 50s. And he was, uh, he was a legend in broadcasting, and he was the first person to ever achieve a gold record for a spoken record. I listened to a lot of Earl Nightingale's uh, cassettes on through his company, Nightingale Conant. And the thing that really motivated or touched me the deepest was he said, he gave a definition of success. And, this, and the definition was this. He said, success is the progressive realization of a worthy goal or an ideal. Now, the powerful part is the worthy goal or ideal, because when you put those two elements in there, it removes the money part. Yes. Because there are countless examples of people who make a lot of money or have a lot of money come into their lives, lottery winnings, or people who are become celebrities, or people who acquire a lot of money through drugs and illicit behavior, does not bring them happiness, that's for sure. But a worthy goal or an ideal is scalable. So if an individual's goal is to be, say, a published artist and writer of stories in car magazines, as long as you are progressively doing that, you're successful. Or if your goal is to have a radio program and you progressively pursue that, you are successful. Or even something like uh, to be a, a school teacher or a really terrific mom or a dad. If you progressively move towards that, you're a success. It's got nothing to do with the money. And that just made a powerful uh, impact on me. 
Wow. I think a lot more people in the world need to think of it that way because nowadays success seems to be all about the money. Yeah. And then as we go into social media, oh, wow, how did that guy have that much money? I'm a loser. He's a winner. He's successful. I'm not. Whereas uh, many times that is not the goal. In fact, most of the time really shouldn't be the goal. And you're right. There's a lot of very wealthy people who are not very happy. And you know, another aspect, Mark, of, of being successful is having the honor and respect of your peers. Mm. And and I'll touch on that later. Very cool. You know, I also like to talk about challenges, something you went through that taught you a really valuable lesson that perhaps wasn't too much fun at the time. Is there an experience like that that you could share? Uh, yeah, 2001, when my uh, corporate job with, uh, well, we I told you we started out as Mattel, or I'm sorry, and then when we merged with Mattel, we became Mattel Mount Laurel because we were located in Mount Laurel, New Jersey, which is on the New Jersey side of the greater Philadelphia area. You know, we were entering into a recession. The company was not doing well, and they started peeling off employees. Mm. You know, every couple of months, five more would go, and yeah. then three more would go. And then one day I went into work, and it was ironic because just the day before, I knew they were, they were doing these layoffs. And just the day before, I was packing up, and I thought to myself, you know, I hope I haven't painted myself into a corner as a toy designer because outside of this office, there aren't too many opportunities. We don't need toy designers in the greater part of the world. Next morning, I go in and I get a phone call. Scott, could you come down to the marketing design conference room? I go, up, that's it. I'm done. And, uh, you know, we indeed did enter into a a dark uh, and long recession. And uh, without the the steady uh, employment and the resources of uh, the company, uh, I had to basically just reinvent myself and uh, look for more magazine work, uh, learn how to better market my art prints through uh, websites. I had to learn how to build websites. Um, You know, I had a little bit of experience in it and just basically learn how to become an online entrepreneur. And uh, it was not easy. It really wasn't. Uh, No, I imagine not. But uh, knowing what I know about you now and your resourcefulness, uh, you figured out a way to do it. And I mentioned earlier an Etsy page and maybe some people out there listening don't know what Etsy is. It could be. What is Etsy and what have you got set up there so people can go and uh, enjoy the, the many parts of your work? Etsy started out as a website for crafters, people that made things. Although I'm not a crafter, I do make my own prints. You know, I create the artwork and I, for a while, I was actually printing them uh, through a local printer and then signing and numbering them, sending them out. What I started to do over the last uh, three years is tap into the wonderful world of what's called print on demand. There are a handful of companies that if you do a digital layout for artwork, it doesn't matter what the art is, you do a digital layout, you upload the file to their servers. You create the selling pages with all the details, the sizes and the prices and all that kind of stuff. When an order comes in, the order for the for the print goes to the printer. They print the piece, they print the one piece and they package it and they and they send it out. They do the mailing and then you you set your price. You, you know it ahead of time what, what this print is going to cost me. And then uh, you mark it up accordingly to what you think the market will bear. They do the printing. They send it out and they do the fulfillment. And then a week or so later, I get my markup. 
Nice. And I don't have to pr- I don't have to pack prints. I don't have to go to the printer. I don't have to have postage and and printing and or packaging supplies. And it was a lot of work to translate transfer all of those layouts into various sizes uh, for the print on demand. But it was absolutely worth it. Yeah, it's a really cool deal. And I know a lot of people that have created Etsy sites. And they even have full-time jobs, and then they have kind of a side job, a side hustle, as we say, of an Etsy site, and make extra money. If you've got to create a bone in your body, and you can create things, uh, there are lots of people out there that will buy stuff. And I know a lot of people that are very successful, and you're one of them. So very nice for sharing that. Let's talk about a special vehicle in your life, and maybe a story around that ride. Well, my special car, I I had to reflect back on that, would have been my 1965 uh, 327 Corvette Stingray Coupe. Uh, It was silver. uh, Somebody had put on a 67 big block Stinger hood, even though it didn't have a big block. It was really cool. And uh, it had factory original side pipes. When I bought the car, it had beautiful chrome Kreger wheels on it. And between the Kreger chrome wheels and the silver paint and the side pipes and the hood, it was just gorgeous. But I learned very quickly the offset on the Kregers, they were just sticking out a little too much. And when I would turn to go into a driveway, the tires were rubbing on the uh, inner fender well and starting to crack the fiberglass. Yeah. So they went away and I got a set of silver rally wheels. And I just loved that car. It was a blast to drive. It rode rough. Thinking back on it, it was more like driving a fast pickup truck. <laughs> and uh, it was really loud because the uh, factory side pipes, they were 10 years old. And by that time, those little teeny tiny baffles that were kind of sort of like muffling they were all burned off so i i had a guy explain to me years later he says, ah you were running straight pipes that's why it was so loud <laughs> and one winter night um the uh, the engine had a problem and it turned out that it swallowed the um on top of the carburetor there's a rod that goes sticks up through the air cleaner and then there's a, a wing nut on top of the air oh, cleaner sure. the wing nut worked itself off the rod worked itself out and the engine swallowed the rod oh ouch. and it went all the way through broke a bunch of broke a uh, one of the uh, valves and broke a piston. So it's it's the end of January and this is my car. This is my only car and I had to fix it. So I did it the hard way, pulled the engine out, took it apart. I had the motor rebuilt. It took me about almost three months to get this project done. Finally got it all back together again, did my uh, 1,000 mile break in, changed the oil, reset everything. And about a week later, somebody stole the car. Oh no. Oh. And I, I got it back about three days later minus my engine, the transmission, oh. the hearse shifter, the side pipes, yeah. uh, the door panels. They broke the radio out of the dash, and they were just really abused the car. And by that time, I was totally tapped out. So, you know, that that was it. And just through life stream, you know, it, it just getting another Corvette wasn't quite practical. It was just a little, little out of reach. You know, I got married, star of the family, and, you know, Corvettes are, are really quite useless cars. Other than <laughs> For fun. families, yeah. So, uh, you know, just the Corvette was always over there in the back of my mind. And I essentially associated my Corvette passion by writing about them and doing illustrations and being part of the Corvette community that way. But that special car was my 65 coupe. Yeah, no kidding. Well, it beckons all the way back to when you were that little boy walking in the showroom. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah fulfilling that dream. I had a 66 uh, Mustang Fastback that had been built into a GT350 clone. Really nicely done car. And I wanted to take the Shelby wheels off and put the American Racing wheels on the gray-centered ones. And I put, they're a little too big. And same thing happened. I hit some bigger bumps in the road and the tires went up and the 
rear fenders got a little bit cracked and stuff and learned about rolling fen- insides of fenders and making <laughs> making that all work. So yeah, you learn the hard way, but they sure are fun cars. I'm going to be your car psychologist today. Crawl into your skull a little bit here. If you were reincarnated, manifest as a vehicle, what would you be and why? Well, I would be either a C5, C6, 7, or 8 Corvette. The reason I say that is because uh, about four years ago, we bought a 1999 Corvette, and uh, we, we still have the car. And what most people don't know about the fifth-generation Corvette was, at that point, it was truly the most revolutionary Corvette that had ever been made. Uh, the Corvette finally had an all-aluminum engine. The transmission was it was a transaxle, so the transmission went in the back, and they had a vastly superior uh, frame and suspension. So it was head and shoulders above anything that had ever been produced uh, before that. Uh, the cars, you know, Getting back to if I was a car, the C5 to C8 cars are are very, very capable cars. They're very strong. They're fast. And they're comfortable being themselves. In other words, you can take – like we can go out on a four or five-hour drive, come back home. And, and the first time uh, Karen and I ever did this, we pulled into the driveway and I said to her – I shut the car off and I said, we've been in this car a long time. Are you car fatigued? She said, no, no, this car is really comfortable. So, you know, they're just wonderful uh, cars. They're they're very, very capable. They're fast. They're quick. And they really have no competition. So, you know, if I was a car, I'd be the car that I'm driving right now. (laughs) Very nice. I like it. Are you a fan of the the new Corvette that have come out now? The what I call the American Ferraris. Uh, yeah, I'm a member of the Highlands County Corvette Club, and our our Corvette Club is is gradually turning into the C8 Club. I think we must have 15 or more of them, and it's a relatively small club because it's kind of there aren't a whole lot of folks around here. But one of my good friends, Jack Murphy, just recently got uh, his uh, C8 Corvette. It's this fire mist red tint coat, and it the red paint that's metallic. It absolutely glows and it's a convertible version and with the top down the car looks so exotic and i i did get to drive the car of course he was still going through the break-in period so i couldn't i didn't want to lean on his on his brand new car but uh the more i'm around them the more i like them you know they're they're just awesome cars i mean chevrolet has created a runaway success with that c8 corvette and a lot of people were suspect because there's no more manual transmission and they weren't sure well you know will the traditional corvette people accept this mid-engine no manual transmission blah 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 But once people start driving this car and word gets out, they cannot build enough of these cars. And it's to the point where between the demand and the problems with supply chain and the shutdowns with COVID and all that kind of nonsense, getting a Corvette now can take a long time. Yes. My friend Jack Murphy, took it took a year and a half to get his car. Oh, yeah. yeah. Now, I remember back in the day in the 70s, somebody in the office would be getting a new Corvette. Yeah, well, when are you going to get your vet? Oh, it's going to be four months. Oh, four months. Oh, man. <laughs> and it seemed like an excruciatingly long amount of time. Nobody ever dreamed it would take a a year and a half to get your Corvette. But when people get them, they're happy with them. Now, they're very complicated cars. You don't just get in them and drive them. Um, it takes over an hour and a half just to go through the review of all the electronics and the infotainment system. And then it probably will take you a good year or more if you study it and use it regularly to become comfortable with it. It's that capable. So they have built an astonishing car and uh, it gets awards like crazy. Car of the year, performance car of the year, just goes on and on and on. It's an amazing machine they bought. Yeah, they built. it really is. And you mentioned you know, how complicated cars are getting these days. My wife and I have two cars we bought new. One of them is an 05. One's an 04. They're both BMWs. And, you know, they're old cars now. And when we take them in for service and they loan us a brand new BMW, 
it's a bit overwhelming. And even my wife will say, I don't want a new car. There's too much stuff in this thing. It's, yeah, there is. It's like they don't want us to be distracted driving. I mean, look at all the distractions that are here. But it's part of the learning curve, I would think. And it's the same for Porsches, which I've had many of and I love. So, yeah, it's a little bit of a conundrum. But uh, that new car, I go for walks with my neighbor and his dog every day. And where we go for a walk over by the duck pond, uh, there was one brand new one parked over in the parking lot the other day, and we both walked up. And he loves Corvettes. He he always wanted an old Corvette. And walking around that thing, we both looked at each other. And I've I've seen some, but I hadn't been really even that close to one. And uh, he said, I thought this was a Ferrari when we pulled up here. Yeah. And I said, well, it has that look and feel, but they certainly are beautiful. And the inside, too, is just uh, just gorgeous. How about a great book that you could share with us today? A great book. Well, I, I would highly recommend any of the history books that were written by Brian Kilmeade. About three years ago, we watched a an amazing uh, series online about the George Washington's spy ring during the American Revolution. And it turned out that um, Brian Kilmeade, who's one of the uh, Fox News guys, he wrote a book called George Washington's Secret Six. And it was all about the spy ring that George Washington had created in order to get uh, intel to uh, fight against the British. And the book was so compelling that I, I wanted to read more of the books from Brian Kilmeade. So after that, I read about Thomas Jefferson and the Tripoli Pirates. Then I read uh, the book about uh, Andrew Jackson and the miracle of New Orleans. Then I read um, the book about Sam Houston and the Alamo Avengers. I didn't grow up in Texas. I didn't know anything about the Alamo Avengers, other, about the Alamo other than the movie with John Wayne. Uh, but what an amazing story. And the last one I read was The President and the Freedom Fighter. It was all about Abraham Lincoln and uh, Frederick Douglass. When you read these, when I started reading these books, I was so touched and inspired by these books, I felt, I said to my wife one day, I feel like I've become a born-again American. <laughs> I, re I really have. So between that and my involvement with the American Legion and the Sons of the American Legion, well, I'm a born-again American. Yeah, they're fantastic. And, you know, these are things that can't really be, well, they probably wouldn't be taught in schools today, I hate to say, but we won't go down that rabbit hole. But uh, there are things that they can't teach in school because they're just so complex. And they're these offshoots that, you know, we hear about George Washington, you know, never told a lie, cut down the, 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 the cherry tree. Um, but these are things that get really into the history of our, our country and how fragile that time was and how... Things might not have gone the same way. You always wonder what what things would have been if. But th those whole series of books are absolutely brilliant. So I'm glad, well, glad you brought that up. Well, Ben Franklin was quoted once as saying to the other uh, signers of the Declaration of Independence, if we don't all hang together, we'll hang separately. Mm. And, that, and that is exactly what would have happened to them because that's what the British would, would have done to all of them. Every one of them. Yeah, absolutely. So. Yeah. Amazing, amazing books. I'm glad you mentioned those. We'll put links to those on Scott's show notes page on the Cars yeah website. So I'm going to enable you to go on the Ultimate Drive today. And that means I'm going to provide you with any vehicle in the world. You can take it anywhere. But here's the fun part. You can take anybody with you, even somebody from the past who's no longer with us. So if you want to take George Washington or Ben Franklin or any of the signers, it's, it's an opportunity here. So what does the Ultimate Drive look like for you? 
the ultimate drive for me, and I, I had to think about this for a little bit, would be, you know, I'm a Corvette guy. So it would be either a C7 Corvette or a C8 Corvette. The C7 Corvette was the the ultimate extension of the front engine Corvette uh, drivetrain and, and layout. Uh, it was the most refined of all of the Corvettes from 1953 up until 2019. Uh, for those of us that like to uh, shift manual transmissions, it was also the last year for a manual transmission Corvette. All of the C8 Corvettes, the mid-engine cars are automatic transmission shift. They're designed that way because you cannot shift as fast as these eight-speed automatic transmissions. They are absolutely uh, amazing uh, technology, but I like the shift gear. So, you know, my ride would be a C7 Corvette, you know, or a C8. I say or a C8 because the the storage space on a long distance for a long distance trip on a C8 Corvette is very very limited and yeah, you know, I'm just not so sure about that. The person I would take with me would be my lovely wife Karen. We have been married for 23 years. We've been together for uh, 26 years and she's just a delightful person and she likes to ride. I like to drive. Nice. Now, when we got our 99 Corvette, I kept telling her, I'm going to teach you how to drive the car. She, I don't want to drive that car. I don't want to stick shift. No, 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 no. I'll, I'll, I'll teach you. It's easy. It's easy. You'll, you'll enjoy it. It's fun. And finally, one day, a couple months after we had the car, we came home and she said, you know what, dude? I watch what you do with this car and I don't want to drive this car, but <laughs> I like riding in this car. Yeah. So, you know, I would like to, to do a, a dream drive with my wife, Karen. And we've been together for uh, 26 years. And we when we first met, we talked talked for a solid two hours, and then a relationship um, ensued, and we're still talking. Now, in 19, or in 2014, when we left New Jersey to move to where we are here in Lake Placid, it was about a two, two-and-a-half-day drive. The entire way down to Florida, we just talked and talked and talked. We never had the radio on. We never had a CD player on. We talked, and we just we communicate. She's wonderful, and she's great. So you know, I, my dream drive would be a, a C7, C8 Corvette with my lovely wife. Well, uh, you're a very fortunate man, and to find uh, that partner in life that uh, you still enjoy talking with, yeah, Mm -hmm. that's pretty cool, too. So I understand. I'm fortunate, too. We've been married this year 39 years, and uh, Jill and I still speak to each other, so that's a good thing. She puts up with all my car shenanigans, and same thing, she likes being the passenger versus the driver. So uh, I've had many, many Porsche 911s over the years as daily drivers, and I would say, you want to drive the Porsche? No, no, you can drive the Porsche. I don't want to drive the Porsche. Um, and the same with my BMW M3s. She said, no, you can drive. I'll just be the passenger. Thank you. But when I met her, she was driving a stick shift. So mm. uh, yeah, she can drive stick shift. So that's pretty cool. You've taken us on a really fun ride today, Scott. I'm so happy that we were introduced. And I want to do a shout out to some mutual friends here. Uh, Jan Hyde, who uh, introduced me to Scott. And also Al Satterwhite, yeah. who, Rebecca, who recommended I talk to Jan. And Al's the one who told Scott about me. So thank you guys for us. Uh, spreading the cars yeah uh word here and there isn't that cool well al satterwhite was on my old far out radio program uh about eight or nine years ago he uh i'm trying to remember what book he had was publishing it was oh it was a book about hunter thompson and then he did another book and i just don't quite remember uh which one that was but uh he's an interesting guy yeah, for sure. How can people learn more about you and how can they find your Etsy page? Well, um, you can learn more about me by going to my uh, Corvette uh, website. It's CorvetteReport.com. Um, that's where I've got, I think, over 700 articles on there. It's basically a place where when I take my, uh, I take my stories from Vet Magazine and Vet Views and after they were 
publish for a few months, I would put them online on the website. It's actually a blog site so that uh, uh, the, the people that I write the stories about, I would send them a link to it and that way they could share that with their family and friends if they didn't weren't able to see the uh, the actual paper publication. So that's CorvetteReport.com. Uh, very soon, I'm going to be starting a new YouTube channel called Corvette Chronicles. And on Corvette Chronicles, I'm going to be reading my Corvette stories. And uh, in the visual part, I will have uh, my illustrations that pertain to the topic as well as uh, uh, photographs and anything I can come along with as a sort of like sli- images that slide in and out of each other. Ah, you're so still that's creating, Scott. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I'll, I'll just never stop. And, uh, and you know, when you're involved in something that you have a lot of passion for, it's, um, it's not work. It's passion. You know, however, I think one of your other questions was about uh, parting thoughts. And, uh, you know, I was going to say that, uh, you know, whatever anybody chooses to do, you've got to have passion for it and a deep interest because even though you might be in an arena that you love, you really love it, there will be times when you don't really feel like doing it. And that's when the passion will carry you on through. The other website that uh, that your listeners can tap into is our Lake Country Cruisers website, and that is Lake Country cruisers.com and uh, the Etsy store can be found at mancavecarart.com that's mancavecarart.com and that's that's the uh, that's the Etsy store that has uh, 1466 items wow. in it now they're not all art prints i got a lot of shirts and coffee mugs and and t-shirts and sweatshirts and stuff like that and it's all got my artwork on it very cool. Well, you're a very inspiring guy, Scott, um, to take your passion and just keep spreading your tentacles out all over the place. That is discovering the secrets off to a happy life. And that's what you It done. is. Yeah, very cool. Thanks for being so generous today with your time and sharing your world with us. I'm so glad that we were connected by our, our friends Al and Jan. Until you and I talk again, my friend, I'll see you down the road. Mark, thank you so much for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. And I'll, I'll put the program on our sites and uh, let, our, let our club members know about it. Well, I appreciate that. This has been great fun. Did you know that less than 3% of all automotive technicians in the U.S. are women? You may not be surprised, but you should be concerned because our country is facing a massive technician shortage right now. Skilled, qualified techs are in high demand, and we need young men and women to consider these viable career paths. Cars yeah knows that women make great techs. I've interviewed a lot of them, so we support the nonprofit Tech Force Foundation and its Women Tech Rocks initiative to ensure women see themselves in this profession, the industry, and the workforce. Learn more at techforce.org today. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah. Yeah.